Hey everyone, I'm Jordy, the Bible School and Tech Director here, and welcome or welcome back to Impact Life Church's online experience. After the message, please take a moment to like or subscribe, but most importantly, we hope that this message inspires you to impact this generation for Jesus. Hey, well good morning everyone. So glad you're here this morning. How many glad you're here? Man, there's nothing better than worshiping Jesus, isn't there? Man, it's awesome. So good. Well, again, we're glad that you're here. And those that are joining us on live stream and online, we want to welcome you this morning. You belong here. Well, if you're in your living room, you belong there as well, but also here. And uh, man, we're just so thrilled that you came this morning. And uh, we're excited to continue on uh, just a series that we've been, the Lord's been leading us in called Christian Killers. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this topic since, like, you know, I really look at it as every time the Lord is wanting to teach us on something, he's trying to get something across to us. I mean, no, he doesn't just, we, we don't just fill up Sundays because we got nothing else better to do. <laughs> no farmer's markets on Saturday. There's nothing going on. We're not just thinking, okay, well, Sunday, there's not a whole lot going on. Might as well do church. No, there is an assignment. There is a specific purpose for every time that we gather. How many of you believe that? Now, I believe this too. We spent a lot of time just in prayer finding out, Lord, what do you want us to be talking as a family? What do we need to be going into? And so what we've been discussing is Christian killers. Ultimately, how I many you know that there is an assignment on your life, not only in the good, but there's an assignment on your life in the negative that the enemy is trying to take you out. We have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. And he's after to steal, to kill, and to ultimately destroy you and my life. But he can't unless he has access to you. And so this is the cool thing is that we don't give him any access. And that's why we're discussing a lot of these Christian killers is to avoid him having any input, any access into our lives. Can I get an uh-huh? Man, I don't want to give that punk nothing. Remember, you know, Jesus said this near the end of the gospel, I believe it's John 16. He actually said before he's going to the cross, he said, the enemy, Satan, has nothing in me. He's like, I'm, I'm laying my life down. Nobody can take it away from me. The devil can't take it away from you. I'm laying it down. So he said, there, he's got no thing in me. And that's what, what I want in my life too. He's got no thing in me. He's got no thing in my family. He's got no access to us. And you and I were able to shut the door on him. And that's why we're talking about Christian killers. So I want to lay a quick foundation again real briefly because last week I think we hit on something that was just the very foundational fundamentals of what Christianity 101 is all about. And if you want the whole extended version, I believe it's about a 50-minute message, I would like you to go download the podcast, listen to it. you got to hear it because this is who you are. we got to understand the Christian killer we talked about last week is not knowing what you signed up for when you hooked up with Jesus, Right? Everybody hooked up with him. We got connected to this man, Jesus. And now what are we a part of? It's not just a one altar time and I said the prayer of you know salvation and that was it for me. Now you entered a lifelong journey with him and you and I, our ultimate goal is to look just like him. Right? This is the goal. This is the design. This is what God intended for you in my life is to be just like Jesus. Now I know you may have heard that before, though don't let that be a Christian cliche. We are to be just like him. And real quickly, just to go over it again, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, for if you openly, what? Declare. declare. Everybody say, declare. declare. How many of you declared that Jesus is Lord? How many of you have done that before? Yeah. Woo! What does it say? You believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it say? You will be saved. Now, thank God that includes your eternal destination. That's all part of it. But that salvation it also incorporates your life on this earth. Salvation is for you now. It's not just after you die. It's now. goes on to say, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So if you have done that before, the Bible calls you saved, and now you've just entered into something. You now became part of something. Because when you declare Jesus is Lord, if you look up that word Lord, it ultimately means... That the lordship, if somebody has lorded over you, he has power and authority over you. So this is what you're saying. When you said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. That's not, you're just Lord of my Sunday. You're Lord of my life, meaning he's involved in every aspect of your life. From the smallest of details to the biggest decision that you have, he is the boss. Everybody say, you the boss. I'm not the boss. We've now entered, and we talked about a little bit last week, real briefly, but this in heaven is not a democracy. You can't just say, oh, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to vote. I don't really know if I want to do your plan this year, God. This is what I want to do. This ain't a vote. If you're jumping with him, guess what? He is now the boss of your life. My life is yours to command. 
Whatever you want me to do, guess what? I'm going to do it. Right? And we've known people in the Bible that chose not to. You've seen Jonah. Right? Decided to go the other way. What happened to him? Got swallowed by a massive fish. And I thank God that he repented while he's in there because you're either going out one way or out the other. <laughs> so let me encourage you. You don't want to go out the ladder. You want to go out the, you know, the right proper way. So just repent. Right? And that's, just for, that's a little biology lesson there for everyone. But we we'll, won't get into that for right now. But this is the life that you and I have now entered. And as we said, uh, by declaring Jesus, you are Lord of my life, you are saying, Jesus, you are the boss of my life. What you say goes. Your thoughts now will become my thoughts. Your ways will become my ways. You now control my life. What do you want? And the cool thing about it is that you have a free will yet on top of it. You can choose. Like this is the greatest choice. After making Jesus the Lord of your life, now you live every single day. We just sang the song. I mean, we can talk about your, your goodness is running after me. Yeah, that's true. But you also got to remember the other part. I lay down my life. I'm submitted to you. You can't just say, oh, Lord, it's all, yeah, I'm, uh, your goodness follows me everywhere I go. Yeah, but not if you're just doing your own thing. He, it's not on that track. He, the track that he has you on is the blessed track. That's why we can say it if you read it in context, Psalm 23. His goodness is running after me, why? Because I'm submitted to him. So, ooh, tread softly, Joel. We're going to, I'm just easy, I'm just easing up into this a little bit, all right? Giver. Who's a giver? I'll just, just have at it. So the primary purpose of our lives is to be like Jesus. Okay, let's say that together. My role, my call is to be like Jesus. All right, so that's all that I'm going to lay out uh, for this that we talked real briefly last week. This morning, I want to start something a little bit different. And again, for me, this is something that I'm still working on in my own personal life that I'm starting to, you know, get a little bit of a handle on. And the Lord, especially again, as I said, when I was in Mexico, I had some quality time with the Lord. And he started touching some things in my life. And this is one of them. So I'm just sharing with you what the Lord's been downloading in me. So this is kind of hot off the press. If that all right with everyone? Okay, so it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm working this out my own self. But this is vital. And this is a massive Christian killer. And this is what we're going to be talking about today is living for the wrong audience. The Christian killer of living for the wrong audience. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said these words, the last, the last part of this verse. I love his words here. Jesus said, for I always, everybody say always. I always do what pleases him. And he's not talking about Peter in this moment. Or he's not talking about, he's one of his disciples. He's saying, I always do what pleases him, meaning the Father. He didn't say, I always do what pleases me. He didn't say, I always do what pleases other people. I always do what pleases him. Jesus lived his life incomplete. His whole mission, his whole purpose was to please the one who sent him. He wasn't interested in man's applause. He wasn't looking for high fives and chest bumps and attaboys from people. He was looking from his father to hear, well done, man. That's what I'm, exactly what I'm looking for. At the expense of maybe not being really popular amongst other people. Right? Now, just in case we have the mindset of, well, he was Jesus. He was the son of God. That maybe, you know, he, of course he can please the father. He's 100% he's God and he's also 100% man. Yeah, that's, that's, we, we can get that mentality. But how many know Jesus lived this life as a man? He gave up his divine privileges. The Philippians says he laid it down and he took upon himself flesh. Mankind. So this is what he became. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and I love this, because Jesus, if you read through the first you know, four books of Hebrews, it really talks about the humanity of Jesus, that how he laid all these things down. In verse 15, he says, Jesus understands humanity. He understands it. He gets what you're going through. Aren't you thankful for that? He knows exactly what you're experiencing. And regarding the, the Christian killer we're talking about, he's been tempted. Oh, let me just read it. For as a man, our magnificent king priest, he was tempted. We say tempted in every way, just as we are and conquered sin. So how many of you know that being tempted is not wrong? Anybody ever been tempted in here before? Yeah. Is it wrong? Is it a sin to be tempted? No, it's not wrong. What it becomes wrong is when you follow that temptation out. That's when it becomes wrong. But Jesus, at the same time, he was tempted in every way just as we are. So regarding this Christian killer, the temptation to please people had to be there. Anybody ever been tempted like that before? It's called peer pressure. You've heard different things like that. Anybody ever experienced some of those things? Man, four of us. Okay, the rest of you, I don't know what I'm going to be preaching then. 
This is what we're talking about is that the audience, what audience am I living for? Got to prove for the right one. But Jesus lived his life. I always do those things which please him. And I love this. And so Jesus experienced temptation. He experienced mankind. He knows how we feel. And so ultimately he has experienced the, uh, the temptation to please people. Looking for the applause of men, he has experienced it. And I want to give you an example and show you that from uh, the book of John. So go there real quick. John chapter 7. And while you're turning there, I want to just throw out again this statement that this is Jesus got so free of people that he was able to effectively help them. For you and me to effectively help people. Anybody interested in helping people? What, how do we help? We use the word of God, but how can we effectively help people is when we are totally free from their opinion, free from their thoughts, free from what they think what you should be doing. I mean, that's how Jesus lived his life. He actually said in John chapter 5, verse 41, he said, your approval of me means nothing to me. Those are powerful words. And who was he saying that to? He's saying that to the Pharisees, the religious rulers and leaders of that day. He looked at them in the eye and said, your approval of me means nothing. Now, that really irked them. Now, that'll, that'll, whoo. Jesus knows how to kind of get right in there, man, and just say the things that just trigger you. <clears throat> but Jesus is good. He's, he's kind of savage. And he's just, he's dangerous, man. He says stuff. You, you'll see it. You'll see it. He says stuff. We kind of just think, oh, you know, Jesus is so wonderful. Yeah, no, Jesus was pretty straight up too. I, I like that about him. But, um, well, anyways, let's read this. He's not interested in the approval of man. And before I read John chapter 7, I want to just read you, or not read you, but give you a quick foundation of where this leads up to. Anybody ever read John chapter 6? Self if you did, because it goes right into 7. But John 6, you know, right at the beginning, Jesus just fed the 5,000. Right, 5,000 men, not including women and children, so roughly 12, 13,000 people he just fed. Right after that, the people got excited. They wanted to make him king, saying, surely this is the prophet that's going to deliver us from the Romans and bada bada doing all this. So Jesus fled. He left, went away. Uh, the disciples left. And the next day, these same people that just got fed were just looking for this Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, there you are. It's, you know, it's breakfast time. What, what, are, you, what, what are we going to do? What's for breakfast? Right, what's going to be for breakfast? And meanwhile, there, Jesus is kind of just laying out this quick foundation. All you coming to me for is you want more food. You didn't realize that the miracle I just performed, that's a result or a, a shadow of who I really am. I am the bread of life. Meaning the words that I'm speaking to you will save your eternity. They will, they will give you the life that you need, the life of God. Right, this is what he's trying to show them. Meanwhile, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus, but we want food. Give us food. So then Jesus starts going into his message of eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, does that sound really appealing? That's the message of this sermon that this morning is eat my flesh, literally, and I want you to drink my blood and you'll be saved. I say, what? And they kind of thought, you're kind of cannibal. They thought he was just, you know, kind of one of those nut guys. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And it actually says that at the end of John is all his disciples, not the 12, but the 70, they heard this and they were deeply offended by what he shared. How I many know Jesus is going to offend sometimes? And that's the way you're going to sound, it's going to sound offensive. No, he doesn't offend. I shouldn't say it that way. He doesn't offend you. The way you may hear it sounds offensive, right? And I know Pastor John and Ingrid hit that a couple weeks ago, being called a dog. Ooh, isn't that just a great thing to hear? You dog. Yeah, I love you. Man, I like that. But Jesus saying this, man, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you have eternal life. This offended the disciples. And meanwhile, Jesus just said, well, go ahead, turn and go. So off they went. They left. These 70 men, and plus there's probably a few more than that, that just all of a sudden left him. Now, is that a successful day? <laughs> he turned to his 12, those closest to him, and he said, hey, are you guys going to leave too? Peter just said, well, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. I mean, I, somebody's got my boat. I got nothing really to go to anymore. So I, I'm kind of sticking this thing out with you, right? And so then, and that right after that, Jesus didn't go say thank you. He said, one of you is a devil. Oh, like Jesus, that's not, <laughs> Jesus didn't play very well. <laughs> that's not how you keep friends, Jesus. That's not what you do. You got to say thank you and hope. No, why? Because he's totally free from people. Completely free. Who is he living for? He's living for the audience of God, not the applause of men. And that's why all those people could go and you don't see Jesus in the corner. Oh, what am I going to do? God, this is, this is horrible. I just lost all my staff. How am I going to make this work? Not freaking out at all. And so now we go into John chapter 7, verse 1. And I just, 
preface this even last night. I have never preached these first 11 verses before, so this is new for me too. But John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Right after this, Jesus traveled extensively throughout the province of Galilee, but he avoided the province of Judea, for he knew that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to have him killed. Man, isn't Jesus life? Don't you want it? <laughs> no? Okay. Now the annual Feast of Tabernacles was approaching. And verse 3 goes on to say, So Jesus' brothers came. What did they try to do? To advise him. How many know Jesus' brothers have the answer that Jesus needs to hear? And let me just read you their advice, saying, Why don't you leave the countryside villages and go to Judea where the crowds are so that your followers can see your miracles? No one can see what you're doing here in the backwoods of Galilee. How do you expect to be successful and famous if you do all these things in secret? Now is your time. Go to Jerusalem, come out of hiding, and show the world who you are. Great advice. Anybody, you know, have people in their life where they think that they got the advice that you need to hear? Right? Everybody's got advice. You know, other translations say, like, hey, we, Jesus, this is what you should be doing. Anybody got people in their life that they, they're the should be people? This is what you should do. And sadly, in Jesus' life, these were the ones that lived in his own household. These were his brothers. This is what you should do. And why did they say all oh, this? Verse 5 tells us his brothers were pushing him. Why? Because even though they didn't yet believe in him as the Savior, they were pushing him. And the way that the Lord said this to me is that unbelieving heart will always demand proof. Prove it, Jesus. And I've heard this statement a long time ago, and I love it. But you don't have to... Uh, uh, what does it go again? You don't have to post it to prove it. And this is what these guys are doing. Prove it, Jesus. Prove that you are the king. Come out of hiding. This is the advice we're giving you. Stop, you know, meddling around in this no man's land. There are not enough people here. Everybody's in Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to this area. That's where everybody is. And prove that you are the son of God so you can get all your followers back. What is that? Pressure. And we'll continue reading here for a sec. Verse 6. Jesus responded, My time of being unveiled hasn't come yet. But any time is suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. <laughs> the world can't hate you, but it does me, for I am exposing their evil deeds. You can go ahead and celebrate the feast without me. My appointed time has not yet come. Jesus lingered in Galilee until his brothers had left for the feast in Jerusalem. Then later, Jesus took a back road and went into Jerusalem in secret. During the feast, the Jewish leaders kept looking for Jesus and asking around, Where is he? Have you seen him? A controversy was brewing among the people with so many different opinions about Jesus. Some were saying he's a good man, while others weren't convinced and insisted saying he's just a demagogue or a fraud or a deceiver. Yet no one was bold enough to speak out publicly on Jesus' behalf for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now this is, now think about it, this is what he's experienced. Jesus had emotion, he had feelings, this is what he's encountering. And the first thing he's encountering and I want to just mention this, but if you live your life trying to please people, number one, you will always feel the pressure to perform. Always. So what do you see, see Jesus' brothers doing? Jesus, you lost all those men because of your stupid message? Eat my flesh, drink my blood? Like, how dumb are you? Now get out of hiding, come out, go to Judea, go show your miracles so that everybody can see what a wonderful guy you are. What is that? Pressure. It's a pressure to perform. Was Jesus, is Jesus against doing miracles? No, not at all. He was going to go do miracles, but he wanted to do it for the right reason. Jesus was, is he, was he going to go to Judea? Yeah, right, why don't you go ahead and Judea? It just, you, we just read it, and it said that he just lingered a little bit, and he came a little bit later. He's just going to go for the right reasons. Jesus was going to prove himself to be the, the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, just not yet. I'm on my way, but I want to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. I want to make sure that the audience that I'm living for tells me when to do it. I don't need everybody telling me or pushing me, this is who you claim you are. Why don't you go ahead and show off? Tell everybody who you're all about. No, no, no. I'm living for the one. I'm not living for you. Can you see this? So what comes is pressure. And in the culture we live in today, this is one of the things that I was just doing some research on, but we get in culture called performance anxiety. Now, performance anxiety, what does that mean? Everybody deals with it. Moms, dads, cousins, sons, daughters, everybody. Anybody ever you know, experienced that before? 
Right, where you go, I mean, listen, we, we go to the extent, even if you look at social media, people are having to post something to prove that they did it. Why did they do it? So that people will recognize, this is what I did. I went to a great restaurant. Click, look at the food I ate. It was amazing. And now here, the hard thing is, is what do I write on this? What hashtags do I put in? <sighs> listen, people get anxious over these things. And here's the thing, if they don't get the proper response that they're looking for, their life is a mess. Anxiety complex. Oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to post? And on top of that, you got people that are, and this is the way that the Lord showed this to me. Jesus is, what, the, what the, his brothers are trying to do is trying to get Jesus' Instagram off of uh, the private, get him on public. Come on, Jesus, we got to go. Let, show everybody, this is who you are. Man, post the stuff. Quick side note, how many know Jesus would have an amazing Instagram? <laughs> oh, just lays Razor from the dead. <laughs> Hashtag YOLO, psych, you know, swipe up to get healed. Like you could, <laughs> swipe left for a blessing. Like there's just, there's so much that he could do and it would be amazing, right? Like just, you know, take a selfie of yourself and, you know, hashtag Jesus and, you know, receive your miracle in three easy steps. Like he would have a killer Instagram post. But this is what we see in culture is this anxiety where people are, they're trying to show off to people that don't even care about them. This is what they're spending so much time on. This is why they dress the way that they do. And over time, you really start to think, like, people, what, what are wrong with you? Like, why are you acting? Like, why do you look so ridiculous on this screen? It's not that they look ridiculous. It's actually, it's, it's fear that's gripping them. They're not arrogant. They're not just mean or harsh people. They're just, they're looking for somebody to show them value. And the world is constantly saying, stand out, be different, look different, you know, impress. And the reality already is, is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You already are. And especially in the culture we live in, we're pushing this. I don't, because if you even look at, if you got kids in this, the generation that's coming up, man, this, this is it. It was one thing just to, man, I mean, for a parent, just to, you know, teach my kids is one thing. Now we got to teach them how to perform. Like there's a whole other side to this. So now we got to show, man, this is not what culture is. This is not how this thing works in the kingdom of God. But this is what is being portrayed to us on a regular daily basis. Anybody ever experienced that before? Anybody have a hard time writing a caption to a picture that they just had? Okay, just me. All right. So you know what? I don't post it. I don't know what to say. I put it down. I can't even show you what a great time I'm having because I don't know what to say. I'm glad I'm, I'm not the only one. Or maybe I am. Don't judge me here. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing about it is when you feel pressure then you have to prove it and when you have to prove it it takes all the fun out of it <laughs> anybody ever have to prove something and what does it do it just takes the fun right out of it now you're just focusing on your performance I've been there still working on that even for me and my own self, when it comes to ministering or preaching the word, I have to make sure, okay, it's got to be good. It's got to be encouraging. It's got to, you know, insert joke here so people laugh here and get a little bit of, it's, it's all of this. And I'll give you a little bit more insight in a little bit. But what I love about Jesus, and this is the thing I'm realizing too, he was authentic. He was only interested, again, living for his father. It's the only thing he was interested in living. He had no pressure lifestyle. He didn't have to prove himself. When what you do and what you are is authentic, the pressure to perform is gone. Jesus didn't have to go anywhere and say, okay, I had a better work a miracle. I'm going to lose a lot of people. <laughs> let's, let's get the work done. The pressure's completely gone because I'm not living for out here. I don't care if anybody high fives me after. I'm living for him. I want to make him pleased. And the next thing what I'm realizing too is the, the next note on this. Go to Daniel chapter 3 for a moment. But pressure to perform, it challenges what you believe. When you feel pressure to perform, okay, uh, somebody asked me to pray for them. Well, I, I, better, I better slap a good prayer on them because if they don't receive what they're praying for, then I, I, I'm a, I'm, what am I? I'm a loser. Things not working. Nothing's working. It's all this performance-based activity. Meanwhile, when we forgot about actually praying to the Father, now we're just praying at a problem and hoping that that just goes away. It's gone. Why is it? Because we're performance mindset-based. I'm looking to please people out here, so I'm going to slap a good prayer on there, and nothing happens. Now what? It comes back to me. It's not your issue. 
This is what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm not pleasing. I'm not living for people. I'm living for him. So if he tells me to do it, I'll do it. If he doesn't tell me, I'm not gonna. That's why I don't go around just witnessing to everybody across the street. It's not my job. Come on, somebody. We get, you get so tempted. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm a good Christian. That's just what we do. Well, did he lead you in doing that? Or are you just making up your own rules now? Well, I, you know, it feels good to my flesh. Ah, ego. There it is. That's why we're doing it. Totally off. Right? Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. And, you know, everybody knows this. And this is one that we always play with our kids. And it's fun, fun to act out. And uh, it's really helpful when you have three kids. Because then you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that works out really well. <laughs> I'm usually King Nebuchadnezzar. So I... I don't know why, but I'm going to build a huge statue of myself, 90 feet high. There it is, and it's just glorious, and it's awesome. And I said, Mike, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys see that? And they just, yeah, Papa, it looks good. Hey, they're imagining. So we, we're doing this whole thing, and he made out this big command. Anybody who hears the music, you hear all the instruments go off, you will bow down to that statue. And if you don't, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Can I just pretend you're my kids? Okay, and then you got to respond back. Okay. <laughs> one of them does that. The other one goes, no way, man, no way. And I'll let you figure out who that one is. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I can now all of a sudden, the instrument's going, bum, King Nebuchadnezzar is here. And, you know, everybody bows. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, the odd time you'll have one of them that actually, no, 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 don't bow, boy. Get, get up. <laughs> And then right afterwards, now we just, okay, they, they come in there, and then there's a couple of astrologers that came, and they were the tattletale. That's Jamie. She comes running in. <laughs> oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, she bows. <laughs> yes, Jamie, what is it? <laughs> she tells me, there's three Hebrew children that refuse to bow. Bring them to me. And, you know, we get all this, you know, this big rage and going on. Shadrach, is it true that you won't bow down to my magnificent statue when you hear the music? And no, we won't. We only bow down to God. So they're yelling this whole thing out. It gets violent. Like they attacked the king. Said, man, you did that. Your head would be chopped off in a second. Don't touch me. Right? Don't touch me. I'm the king. You're whatever you are. So they go on and we get into this story. And that's kind of where we pick up in verse 12. And then these are the tattletales that just came in. And he said, your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Oh, verse 13. Just follow on, guys. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, S, M, and A, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, long names. <laughs> we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Remember the audience that they're living for. I'm not interested in serving around here. What is he doing? When you hear the music, you will all bow down to my statue. What is that? Come on, somebody. Oh, it's just, just a weird command. No, pressure to conform to what is being happened naturally. If you are thrown into a blazing service, this is again talking, if we are thrown into one, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, now we got to have this type of attitude. This is the audience I'm leaving for. Even if he doesn't. And this is not like them just going, well, I don't know if he will. No, this is just to really you know, stick it to the king. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with them that his face became... Parents, have you ever gotten to that place before? Distorted? Jesus, what's wrong with this man? With rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind them and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. 
And there became, because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they, as they threw the three men in. He's so angry that he's, gonna, he's willing to sacrifice his strongest guys. Woo, psycho. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, let's say suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men thrown into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. And so he came up, shouted into the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out, and you read the rest of the story. These three men, because of their unwillingness to bow to pressure, saved an entire nation. Because Nebuchadnezzar later on made a command that everybody will serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But this is the point that I want to make in all this is, if you choose to bow to the pressure, eventually you will burn. Eventually it's going to come back on you. But if you refuse to bow, you can't burn. Now here's the thing that the Lord's really just been showing me. They went into the furnace. And I think for myself, this was a kind of a learning curve for me because I always expected that I would never, ever enter a furnace. I just believe, I'll, no, Lord, I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure these guys, before they got thrown in, oh, oh you know, God, if you're going to do anything, now would be a great time to show up. <laughs> but I love the statements he made, even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to that pressure. We need, as a church, to have that attitude. Not like, oh God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through the fire. Listen, you go through the fire. You know why the whole nation got saved? Because of three men? We want to reach an entire nation. There may be some fires we have to walk through. And it's not God putting you through a fire. It's what's going on in this natural. God is able to now use you to demonstrate His faithfulness amongst the fire. We have to have that attitude. And the moment it gets hard and the pressure starts coming, we buckle at the sight of it. And you can see it with culture. They're talking about everything. Same-sex marriage. They're talking about abortions. They're talking about all these things. And what do believers do? We bend to the pressure. Because if we don't bend, then we're going to be looked like jerks and we're going to be you know, hated on. People are going to say bad things about us. What? That's the pressure we're buckling under? And we want to reach an entire nation? People are looking for strength. They're looking for truth. Even if they're fighting you, they're still looking for the real God. So how do we do that? Go ahead, throw me in the fire. I will not bow to what the Word of God says. Because again, what audience am I living for? There's a quote that I wanted to say. I'm going to just say it now at the very end. I loved it from Billy Graham. He said, Our society is so careful not to offend people, but to offend God. We're interested in making sure everybody's okay, and at the meantime, we hurt Him. My days of hurting Him are over. I'm not interested in hurting Him in the slightest. So what am I going to do? I'm going to hold fast, refuse. When the pressure comes at me, I am not going to bow down. I refuse to buckle. Why? Because I believe my God can and will deliver me. He will. I believe that. Anybody else believe that? This is who we are. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> let me encourage you. These are just some things I wrote down. If I live my life to perform for others, it will eventually kill me. If I live my life to please people, if I look to constantly find my joy in your brain, I will eventually run myself into a grave. Why? Because if the slightest thing, not, you're not going to be able to please everyone. And maybe this is maybe more so just my personality. Anybody in the Enneagram? I'm a tree. Any, any other threes in the house? One. <laughs> I can be. There's a typical nine right there. All right. <laughs> I'll be whatever you want me to be. No. Three. And what is it you're really performance based right and think this is a big one for me is that I would you know what am I, what am I going to say with this um, I live my life to performing others it will eventually kill me meaning if I try to constantly find my peace find my joy in making you happy I will wreck my life doing it and here's the thing about my own personal self is I will run myself into a grave on purpose to make you happy that's just what how that's just kind of how I'm built that's what God put in me. And I thank God for that, but I had to channel that because that's not who I am. I am not a savior. I'm Joel called to be a pastor. This, I, I can't do it. But I know who can. It's him. So when I live my life now to fully please him, I will be of greater use to, to you. 
And here's the thing too. Pressure, when you feel the pressure, it is not a leading. It's not God leading you. It's not God trying to direct you. Pressure, that's not how he rolls. Anytime you feel pressure in any kind of way, know this, that the enemy's working on you. The moment you feel pressure, oh, you know, this is, you know, money's tight. I'm not able to, you know, I better not. Anytime you feel this pressure, prove to your, that's a great place right there to find out where you are. Where's your choking point? Is when the pressure is at. Next is peer pressure from people is not a lifestyle. It doesn't affect who you are. Another thing that the Lord, if you read, go back to John chapter 7, verse 1, it says that Jesus purposefully stayed away from Judea. He stayed away from there. So who or what do you need to purposely stay away from in this season? He stayed away from there on purpose. Why? I'm not going to go there. Why? Because these Pharisees want to kill me. So what is it for you? What do you need to purposefully stay away from? Because you know what's going to eventually hurt you. It's going to cause you harm. Is there a relationship that you need to sever ties with so you can move forward? Is there something maybe you need to embrace? But for the most part, what do we need to say no to? Right? Okay. And then while I was, of course, sitting in my hammock, the Lord helped me with this. <laughs> but to combat a pressure to perform. So to combat the pressure to perform. The thing is, is you have to know the season that you're in. Jesus knew the timing. He constantly said to them, it's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. So success for me is defined as knowing the season that you're in and fulfilling in that season. This is it. Because for me, what I constantly did is, you know, after Sunday, if anybody follows other churches, and I got a lot of pastor friends around, and right away, you know, check out Instagram, and you see what they're doing. Now, this for me was a vulnerable thing, because I'd be looking at what they're doing. I've been looking at how they're preaching, how they're ministering. For me, I'd go, man, I suck. I, are you kidding me? Because what I, and we'll get into this. This is the next thing about um, living for an audience, is that there's a pressure to, you know, look like somebody else. All of a sudden, I'm looking at what they're doing. Man, I'm like, they're good. I'm bad. Look out there. Do you see what, how they preach? Do you see how they do things? Man, I, I blow chunks. How, these guys are amazing. Like, thank you for coming every week to hear what I've got to say because, man, I'm not even good enough. And I would get down into this deep, dark hole. Whether you think of it or not, I get into that. And all of a sudden, you know, Sunday, especially, you know, more Sunday afternoons going into Monday, just going like, what am I even doing? Man, I just like, what, what am I even saying? Is he even helping anybody? Some 31-year-old guy who thinks he knows everything. And all these thoughts would just come bombarding my head. They'd just come in there, and all of a sudden I find myself, you know, scrolling, flicking through, and going, I don't even measure up to any of these guys. What am I doing? And so all of a sudden I found myself going into this, what's the point? What happened? The pressure from the outside started to get at me, and at the same time it started to get on the inside of me. And the Lord had to kind of whip me into shape a little bit. Like, man, greater is me in you than he is in the world. Get, get yourself big on the inside. And again, what helped me, he started to say, Joel, know the season that you're in. Because at the same time, you know, Pastor John and Ingrid, not only did they pass over the church to Jamie and I, but they also had another organization at that time called Canada Word of Faith Ministries, which is now impacting Canada Ministries. And at home, I think there's 13 churches, there's 36 pastors, five traveling ministries, uh, 12 different ministers along in that, all pastors, youth pastors, itinerant ministers that go across Canada, some go to Israel, all these types of things. So the pressure then is when we put on these types of events, and I've been asked to go and speak at some of these different churches, is I have to perform as the head of Impacting Canada Ministries. And I got to be good, I got to be on, I got to guide nice clothes, I have to look a certain way, because if I don't look the part, then I don't feel the part, and if I don't feel the part, what am I, just a fraud? All these things would come, and the Lord actually started to show me, like, Joel, what is your season? What's the season that you're in? So it took me about a, a little while just to get over it, finding out my season is not to be a traveling minister. That's not who I am. That's not my assignment right now. What am I? I'm not here, I'm not here to pastor pastors. So what am I called to do? I'm here to pastor a local church, and I have a family that I'm in the midst of raising right at this moment. I got three kids at home, and this is the way that the Lord... Yeah, thank you, Lord. But the Lord had to show me this in Psalm 127. This is where he directed me, Psalm 127. You just read that as six verses. And it talks about, unless the Lord builds a house, though that labor it build it in vain. But he goes on to talk about your children are an inheritance from the Lord. So for me, I was getting so caught up in ministry, so caught up in work and doing and building, that I was even neglecting my own little family. At the sake of, well, Lord, it's your work. Thinking, what am I actually doing? If I got down to the real motive and the root of the whole thing, 
I'm actually trying to build an image. And it hurt. And when the Lord revealed that to me, he's like, what are you doing? I didn't ask you to do any of this. So what did I have to stay away from? I actually had to stay away from Instagram for a period of time. I'm done with it. I just put it away. You may see me like a thing here or there, but that's it. I, I, I put it away because there's some of these things that are actually trying to get in and trying to reveal you ain't doing enough. That has to stop. Because my season is, what do you want me to do? You want me to raise my three kids? I will do it with a lack of sleep. I will do it clean and poop, and I will do it joyfully. <laughs> Why? Because that's the season that I'm in. And here's the thing. If I'm not faithful in this season, how can I be faithful in the next? So what's the season that you're in? Live it. Enjoy it. And don't try to prove it anything. You do it for him. I'm making Instagram posts for him to like. I don't care if I don't get any likes. I'm doing it for him. Anywho. But you can still like my picture. <laughs> now, as I said, like living for the wrong audience, this is the next part, you'll eventually lead you into pressure to look like someone else. Jesus suffered so much scrutiny from the Pharisees. They watched everything he did. Why? Because they were trying to conform him to be like them. They were scared of different. Right? You think of these guys. They watch him. Why is, he, why is he eating with those losers, those sinners? Why is he talking to that woman? All these types of things. Why didn't he wash his hands? This is the life that Jesus was under constantly. Why did he heal on the Sabbath? Oh, man, we got to kill this guy. This is the life that he lived. It wasn't all just, oh, bless you, bless you, you know, check out my account. It was constantly in the back scenes. He couldn't prove himself once. Think about that for a moment. In his three and a half years of ministry, he didn't prove anything. He hung on the cross and they're still laughing at him. If you were the son of God, come off it, man. Then we'll believe you. Man, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, dun 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 dun, angels, swipe them all. (laughs) Show them who I am. That's why I'm Joel, not Jesus. (laughs) But think about it. Hanging on the cross, the most vulnerable state. And yet what does he do? He still does not show off who he is. Not yet. But guess what? He's coming again. And at that time, ooh, son, that's going to be a different story. Then every eye will see and every ear will hear and look at him and go, man, this, that was him. It was him all along. Oh. oh. Okay, so here's the thing. This is the choice. And I love what Chip Brim said a couple of weeks or I guess a month ago now in March. But he said, you weren't born to lose, you were born to choose. So this is actually a choice that you have to make. And now I want to encourage you, get into this. The choices that you have to make is, do I live for the applause of men? Or am I going to live to hear the well done? Am I living for the one, the invisible one? Living for the applause of men will cost me to do things. Looking for thank you. That's empty. I'm going to keep doing the right thing because I love God and he's my source. When I choose to live for the one, my motivation is different. I'm not looking for the high five. I'm not looking for the selfie. Oh, look, I'm helping somebody. It's not what I'm doing. My motivation is him. So I don't care if I get the pat on the back. I ain't looking for that. Can can you see the difference there? Because how many times people are just looking like, did did I do it okay? It's not about that. If you live for the one, and these are some questions that came to my heart last night is, living for the audience of one, Jesus, what would it look like? And your, how would it look like in your family? What would it look like in your workplace? What would it look like in your praise? People are even just like, oh, I don't want to lift my hands because I don't want to look stupid. That, you know what that is? Is you're living for other people. You're trying to impress other people. And guess what? They're not impressed whether you do something or not. Pastor Lori said that so good one time. She said, if, people, if you actually knew how much people didn't care, you'd go for therapy. <laughs> they just don't care about me. Yeah, they, right, Pastor Lori, do they care? Nope. <laughs> Flat out don't care. You went for a run. Well, what if people think I'm stupid? So what? Guess what you're doing? You're looking here again, and that is not the audience to impress. Who am I looking to please? Here. So let me encourage you. When we sing some songs, when we worship God, go all out. Because if my praise is going towards Him, I don't care what you think. It's not about you. It's about me serving Him. What does it look like in your prayer? What does it look like in your giving? All of these things come in place. Every little detail. How would you parent your children? How would you be a son or a daughter? How would you honor those that are ahead of you? How would you look down to the people around you? How would it constantly look like if I'm living for the one? The shows that I watch. Oh. Uh, anyhow. Let's keep going on. I'll leave that one. <laughs> 
I'm going to serve God and love people not so that I can get a high five. I'm going to love people because I love Jesus. Why do I preach? Do I preach because I love to preach and I love to hear myself talk? No, because I'll get old real quick. You know, one of the things I remember first starting out, I always thought that I had kind of a deep voice, like a <laughs> sub, you know, one of those type voices. And then you hear yourself talk on replay or on the podcast. Oh, Jesus. Like, ah, oh, can you make it a little bit more like, hey, like just something <laughs> like puberty hit me or something, God, like just, hey, that's what I'm looking for. But I'm going to do this. I don't love to preach. I love God. So I love people. I love to help people. That's it. That's my motivation. My motivation is I love him. That's why I come up here every Sunday. I love it. Why? Because I love him. If I did it for everybody here, it would drive me bonkers. Okay. So what am I living for? I'm living to please God. So go to Matthew chapter 6 real quick and we'll close off here. I got about 13 more minutes and... <laughs> Got to call somebody up. Romans chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter six, verse one through six. Let's read that real quick. But I just want to encourage you. Remember, what is the Christian killer? Is living for the wrong audience. And if we want to live for the audience of God, God sees things in private. So it's the private life that he's after. It's not about all these external things. It's the private life. And I am fully convinced, nobody else can tell me otherwise, that if I get my private life in order, my outer life will be effective. A lot of times we see so much time trying to people do things on the side, on the external side. Got to do this, got to be acting in that. If I get my internal right, my relationship with Jesus right, everything I do, it was everything, everything I do will be effective on the outside. You can't just make things effective on the outside and be rotten on the inside. Jesus talked about that. On an unhealthy tree, will you get good fruit? No. What kind of fruit do you get? The nasty stuff. But you get good fruit off of a good tree. So this is why we talked even last week, man. We have got to get this relationship with Jesus so secure. And we are with him on a consistent every single day, moment by moment basis. It's not just a once in a while. It's not just a flip open my Bible when I need to lift me up. It's I'm living with this man. I'm communing with him. I'm working with him because he sees in private. So Matthew chapter 6, this is just some things that Jesus gives us. He said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. Shows us right off the bat. To be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Think about that for a sec. Here I am doing my good deeds so everybody can see what I'm doing. What do you lose? The reward from your Father in heaven. What's he saying? Do it without having to be seen. Verse 2 goes on to say, When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Look at me, everybody. Here you go. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. What's the reward? People saw them. That's it. You get a few likes on Insta. That's it. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts, how? Come on, say it again, in? Oh, but how, how will they know, how do they know it's from me? And your father who sees everything will reward you. How do I live my life? Private. And when I do things on the outside, guess what? It's still somewhat done in private. I don't need people seeing what I'm doing. Verse five, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray. How I many you know hypocrites like to pray? <laughs> Publicly, on street corners, and see in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. What's the reward? People see them. Verse uh, goes on to say, when you pray, go away by yourself, shutting the door. Oh yeah, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in how? In private. Then your Father who sees everything what will he do reward you next let's go to verse 16 for a moment <clears throat> flip over a few things jesus teaches us how to pray and then but when you fast don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do for they try to look miserable <laughs> oh it's just so rough you know i've just been fasting for 40 days <laughs> rock on and so people will admire them for their fasting guess what they get well guess what their reward is People go, oh, he fasted for 40 days. What a champ. That's it. You just did that for nothing. 
40 days hurting yourself, puking your guts out. There's nothing going on in you, just laying around, crawling the streets. And this is the reward? Somebody goes, oh, rock on, man. That's it? <laughs> no thanks, I don't want that. Verse 17 says, but when you do fast, comb your hair, take a shower, <laughs> then no one will notice you are fasting. Except who? Who am I living for? What's my audience? My father. My audience. Who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything. What will he do? <laughs> he will reward you. Oh, man. So now, this is the thing that just helped me. But if I'm going to live my life in private, that means I love my wife in private. And so I'm not just out here saying, oh, man, me and my wife have a great marriage. We can talk about, man, we're fantastic. If I talk that, the only reward I would get is, oh, man, they got a great marriage. Good, good job. I, on purpose, because of my devotion to God, I'm going to love my wife properly. What does that mean? When it's the most inconvenient, if that's a word, in, that's what I meant, inconvenient, when I don't feel like it, husbands, anybody out there? Or everybody just feels like loving their spouse all the time. Okay, well, kudos to you. All right, right here. Dave, Dave is the man. Everybody be like Dave. That's what we're going for. Dave, Dave, Dave. All right, go to Ephesians for a moment. I want to just show you a few things. But this is what I'm going to do in private. Uh, no, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, guys. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 16 or 22. First, he's going to talk to the wives. <clears throat> Can you get there? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. If not, I can click and I can... No? Okay, Ephesians 5, if you got that, go to verse 22 for a moment. It says this. Verse 21 says, Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, right off the bat. What does it say? For, submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. So I'm submitting to my wife because I love Jesus. This has to be it. Can you see this? It's not me just loving another person this way. I am submitted to Christ. I am submitted to His Lordship. And out of that now, He gives some instructions. So verse 22, uh, it says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I don't want to do that. You know why? You haven't submitted to Him. I haven't submitted my life to Christ. Because when I do, submitting's easy. Can, can you see this? Because again, what's my audience? My audience is not Jamie. Oh, come on, somebody. You got, you, my audience is not her. Hey, Jamie, look how good I am. Sprinkling flower dust all over you and just throwing lavish roses all over and chocolate all over the place. I, I, my, my, she is the aim of it, but I'm focusing on my audience of him. Okay? For why does this mean submit to their husbands as, look at that, as to who? The Lord. Okay, verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in... Husbands spoke up real loud right there. I'm just, I'm just saying to everything. Verse 25. For husbands, all right, men, this is you and I. This means love your wife. In the easy times and in the times when she wants to talk, when the hockey game's on... <laughs> Huh? When the NBA playoffs are on and it's game seven and Toronto's trying to win the, you know, the, the game, what do you got to do? You have to love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. You have to give it up. Give it up in here. Okay. Verse 20, keep going on. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Verse 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Message Bible says, go all out in your love for your wife. Why? Because I'm submitted to the Lord. I'm going to do it in private. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Verse 21, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So I think that was it. Yeah. And we are members of his body. Verse 30. So what does that mean? I'm submitted to Christ, so I'm going to love Jamie. That's just it. There's no ifs, ands, or ifs around about it. Because I, my audience is him. And I want to be pleasing to him. I'm going to love my wife. Now it goes on to say, let's go to chapter 6, verse 6, verse 1. Or verse 5, sorry. 
Slaves. Let's talk about the workplace here for a moment. Anybody work somewhere? All right, so this hits everybody. Slaves. That, <laughs> what that means is employees, right? In that day and age, they were just called slaves. And it wasn't a derogatory term. It was just, this is, what, this is the culture they were in. If you are an employee, this is what it says. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would who? Serve Christ. Go on. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves or as employees, if you look at it, as an employee of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with... Oh, my job is just so lame. Got to go up and all they want me to do is, you know, swap, work, 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 and you do know. And you're swapping and you're swinging. And the boss comes in. Oh, hey, boss, it's so good to see you. Man, it's awesome. Great. Isn't it a great day? It is, isn't it? Oh, you know, have a great day. Yeah, you too. And all of a sudden, oh, God, well, he's such a jerk. Like, what? Can't I ever get a day off around this place? You know what it is? Your audience? Guess who your audience is? It's your boss. It is your boss. And meanwhile, we're trying to get promotions. Meanwhile, we're looking, Lord, where's the favor in my work? Meanwhile, I'm looking, where's that next pay grade that I need? I'm, I've been asking and praying God for more, you know, finances coming my way. And my boss is such a jerk. You know, he gives me the, you know, the bad hours and I just don't get to get anything. You don't wonder why you ain't getting it? Do you know why? Because you don't do this. You're not submitted to Christ. Your audience is your boss instead of him. Work with enthusiasm. How do you do that? When I know I'm working for him, it becomes the greatest joy. I'm breathing, I'm alive, I'm living, I'm going to do it for Him. As though you were working for who? Do you see this? For the Lord, who's my audience? Him, not people. Click, next one. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Doesn't leave there, now go talks about masters or those that are employers. Any employers here? He says, treat your slaves, your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. <laughs> If you don't, boy, I'm going to, you, you, are, you are out. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So, man, this, this is huge. People are wondering, well, how come I'm not seeing anything going on in my workplace? Who are you working for? I'm working for the man. <laughs> That's unfortunate, because guess what? Their promotion does not come from man. Where does promotion come from? But, you know, Psalm says that it doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. Where does promotion come from? It comes from Him. Because everything we do on this earth, He ordained and set all this up. Yes, you may have earthly bosses. Guess what it tells you to do? Work at it with enthusiasm. Do it as unto the Lord. Man, I love doing that. I mean, one of the things when I remember first starting here is I was the janitor here. Remember, my job was to clean the toilets. And before we had this, before I started that job, it was right after our graduation, and uh, we had Tony Cook that came in. Anybody remember Tony? Well, I really enjoy Tony Cook. And he had a, he gave a little bit of a story about when he first started out in ministry, and he felt a call to be a teacher, right? And I mean, now he's a fantastic teacher. But you, a lot of times you just see people's highlights on things, and we go, oh, I want that too. Meanwhile, you don't understand the process that it took to get there. So before he was a teacher, you know, going global around the world, teaching the body of Christ, he started off as a janitor, and he was miserable doing it. <laughs> he was in the bathroom, cleaning a bathroom one day, and he's just, you know, grumbling, complaining, like, Lord, I thought you called me to teach. And here I am, you know, cleaning hockey pucks, and, you know, making sure the toilet looks clean, and make sure that the, the wrappers are full and going the right way, not over and under. I'm going to make sure that it's proper. And all of a sudden, the Lord got a hold of him, and said, I want you to clean this bathroom as if I'm the next one using it. Whoo, totally changed his whole attitude, changed. He got excited about it. He started mopping and, yeah, this is awesome. This is great. I get to clean toilets. Why? Because who are you doing it for? Him. So whatever you're doing, if you're stocking shelves, if you're, you know, whatever you're doing, mowing lawns, whatever it is, do it unto him. Why? You want the promotion? It comes from Him, not people. People do not give you the promotion. They may be the instrument God uses, but it ultimately comes from Him. Last one before I close, I want you to look at Romans chapter 13. Oh, this one's going to get deep for a sec. Talking about government officials. I know we talk a lot about that here. But this is huge for us. 
This is vital, and especially in a culture that feels totally free to talk however they want about any political individual, about any RCMP, about anybody that's in authority in the political sense. We feel totally justified to say whatever we want when they do something we don't like. Guess what? There's, there's people that like what they're doing. So it makes your opinion better. I think they're just stupid. Well, sure. That, that could be, but it doesn't change Romans 13. So can I just show you what God says? What is the first word? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> Who's that mean? That means me. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Verse 2. <laughs> so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against who? You're rebelling against him. <laughs> Think about that for a sec. It, it's huge. I used to look at, and this is something that I've worked on, I used to see the maximum speed that says 60. That to me would be a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, we laugh at it. The Lord had to get arrest my attention on that. What am I doing? I am rebelling against Him. Stop sign. Really, it should be a yield sign. So I'm going to just, you know. <laughs> they meant yield. They just forgot that's a triangle, not an octagon. What am I doing? I'm rebelling against God. And they will be... I've been caught speeding before. Yes, I have. I got punished. Verse 3. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Anybody here would like to live without fear? Anybody not want to get tased? <laughs> okay. Do what is right. They will honor you. <laughs> right? Verse 4. The authorities are God's servants for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid. <laughs> for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants for, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Verse 5. So you must, everybody say you must, submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but at the same time to keep a clear conscience. What's so vital about having a clear conscience? When you have a clear conscience, you can hear the voice of God. You're wondering why you don't, like, what's going on? Yeah, I don't have a clear conscience. Well, it could be as simple as you're not listening to the authorities above you. It could be as simple as that. And really, whether you realize it or not, but that is what the Bible would say is sin. Right? Sin just means you miss the mark. So what do we do? Repent. Change my thought? Okay, I'm going to go 60 now. Oh, man. And I got a really fast car, so I thought... Uh, click. And then he says, pay your taxes. If you haven't paid your taxes in the last few years, you are unbiblical. And you're wondering... Oh, where's the blessing in my life? Oh, man, I, I sure beat the CRA. They didn't find this, this, or that. You think that you just beat the system, but you don't beat God. Yes, you are God's child, but He is not... He, love takes no pleasure in injustice. It takes no pleasure in it. So if I'm cheating out on my taxes, how am I going to receive the blessings of God? Oh, I've just been confessing, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, and I'm so flamboyant in worship, but I don't pay my taxes. God goes, well, my goodness is chasing you? I, I don't think so. My goodness is over here. You're over here. That's, they're not in the same area. Oh, but, but Lord, you're so good to me. No, pay your taxes for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Verse 7. Give to everyone what you give to everyone what you owe them. Oh, let me just quickly touch on this because man, I've been salty on this before. Somebody owed me some money because I lent it to them, and then I see they buy a new pair of shoes. Check out the new shoes I got. Oh, you still owe me a hundred bucks. What's wrong with that? It's not right. It's not right. Your goodness is coming after. It's coming after me. Do you owe somebody? Pay them back. Oh, he'll forget about it. He'll forgive me. No, that's... It's, again, you're serving the man. God is looking at you and he's saying, can I entrust you with more? You're wondering, how, how come I'm not seeing an increase in my finances? Have you paid everybody back what you owed them? Well, it's only two bucks. Two dollars is a big deal. 
whether we realize it or not. And if we can't pass the test in the money area, how are we going to be at while accessing the real great stuff that God wants to do with us? Anywho, pay your taxes in the government. Go on. This, uh, uh, give to everyone the own. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So what does that mean? Whenever somebody says Justin Trudeau, I'm going to go bless him, Lord. Lord, I lift him up to you. I, you will never, ever hear me talk bad about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Why? Because I'm submitted to him. My audience is him. My audience isn't on Facebook trying to get as many likes and a bunch of shares just going, oh yeah, he does do that thing stupid. And he did make that stupid decision. Yes, he may have made a bunch of stupid decisions, but that doesn't change my audience. My audience is here. This is who I'm living for. I don't care what anybody else does here. And when I live for him in private, he will take care of me in public. He absolutely will. And we're looking here. We want to take over the nation of Canada. The gospel wants to go forth in Canada. Anybody believe that? Well, we want that. We want that. We want that. And we're bad-mouthing our government officials? What? Makes no sense. It doesn't work because you're going contrary to what the Word of God actually says, who we are. This is a Christian killer because our audience now is people. I'm looking to get as many people on my side. This is what I believe. This is what I say. And get a bunch of people. You may be right in what you're saying, but you're completely wrong. Why? Because it does not hear honor. And if you look at Romans 13, 8, the very the last verse, it says, Oh, no man, anything but to love him. My job is not to judge. My job is to love. And if you look, this is a thing uh, amazing. Acts chapter, I think it's 12 or 13. But King Herod of Agrippa, <laughs> last night I said King Agrippa, King Herod of Agrippa, who was a wicked king, but the church was praying for this king. And he came out and he gave his big speech and all the people said, it's a voice of a God, it's a voice of a God. And at that moment, this king who was so ruthless and so horrible, an angel from heaven came down, killed him with the sword, and a worm ate him up. That is New Testament. So that happened in our age that we're in right now. So we're looking, how does God get access to people? It's through his church. How is God going to reach Prime Minister Trudeau? It's through you and me. So let me encourage you, next time somebody wants to, you know, lip off and badmouth Prime Minister Trudeau, don't get into an argument with him. Don't need to debate that. That's useless. That really does nothing, except you just get your point across and you got this cat fight going on on, Inst on Facebook. If you see somebody, in, even in a, in a whatever setting, grab their hand and just say, let's, let's pray for the man right now. Let's lift up his family. And notice what a change it will do to you on the inside, but notice what it does to that person as well. Why? Because our job, our call is to love. And you know what? If God, if he's not doing what God wants him to do, God will remove him. I mean, we stand here with these big protest signs. Yeah, you know, we're the church. We have to be heard. Be heard in private first. Come on, somebody. If you're heard in private before him, then your voice in public will be even better. Why? Well, because instead of condemning, now you're lifting up and you're sharing truth. Now, I'm not saying, oh, we just, you know, let everything fly. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is do it in private first. Hey, thanks for listening. If you live in the central Alberta region of Canada, we would love to have you come out and check out one of our weekend messages. For more info on all of our directions, service times, and children's programs, visit our website at impactlife.ca. That's impactlife.ca.